A uh, Sunday school teacher was trying to teach the young children in her class about grace. And so she asked them, she said, if I, if I sold my house and my car and all the stuff that I had, and I had this big garage sale and gave all my money to the church, would that get me into heaven? And the children all said, no. And, and so she said, well, if I cleaned the church every day and I mowed the yard and I kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? And all the children said, no. And she continued, well, then how can I get into heaven? And from the back of the room, little one little boy shouted out, you got to be dead. Well, he does at least have part of it right, I guess. You do have to, uh, to be dead, at least physically. But if you want to get to heaven, just being dead isn't going to cut it. You need the grace of God. But as we've been talking about in this series called Grace Goes Deep, we need to go deeper in our grace and our understanding of grace than just our salvation. The, the grace is more than just a way for us to be justified, but it's also a way for us to be sanctified. In other words, grace doesn't just get us into Jesus so that we can get to heaven, but grace, deep grace, helps get more of Jesus into us and helps for God to bring a little bit of heaven down to earth through us. And that's why grace must go deep. And so two weeks ago, we talked about the, the fact that life is hard. We all experience suffering. We all go through trials. We all understand weakness and grace helps in those areas. And then last week we talked about being wounded and being hurt by other people. And we've all been there. We, many of us are, are still there and grace helps us deal with those experience, experiences as well. But what we're going to talk about today is another area that that I think we all understand, that we all can relate to, and, and that we all have in common, and it's this, that we are all sinners in deep need of the mercy and the grace and the rescue of God. But here's the thing. We usually don't deny that we struggle with suffering and weakness. We usually don't deny that we struggle with woundedness but we're not always at the same place when it comes to realizing how much we need the grace of God when it comes to our sinfulness. And in those situations, I think we're often too shallow in our experience of grace. Reminds me of the story of these two brothers. They were wealthy and they were quite wicked. And they pretty much ran the, the little town that they were raised in and grew up in. Well, one of them dies and the other one goes to the pastor of the largest church in town. And he says, I want you to do my brother's funeral. And I'm prepared to give your church $1 million if you do it. But here's the catch. You have to tell this town that my brother was a saint. And so the pastor faced a moral dilemma. I mean, the church needed the money but he didn't want to compromise his integrity. But he agreed to do the service. And so the day of the service came and the place was just absolutely packed and everyone wondered what he was going to say, what the pastor was going to say. And the pastor stood behind the, pas the casket up in front of everyone and, and he pointed to it and he said, now everyone knows that the man in front of me was a crooked, mean, cruel, immoral, ungodly man. But compared to his brother... He was a saint. <laughs> you see, what happens when we talk about grace and our sins is that we start comparing ourselves to each other and to other people. 
You know, I, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but when I think about what they're like and when I think about what they do and when I think about where they've been and before we know it, we just figure that we need just a shallow level of grace. You see, grace will never be that good as long as people think they're not that bad. And ironically, Jesus is often used to champion this idea that it is offensive to name sin. It's offensive to confront sinners. We shouldn't be telling people about sin. We should be just loving people and tolerating. That, that's what Jesus did, right? And I'm not saying we shouldn't love people. Obviously, we should. But I would challenge you, to, if that's your mindset, to reread the Gospels. So someone is telling you a story about Jesus that just is not in there. Let me just quickly go through some verses in the Gospels, like Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus said that the reason the Son of Man came was to seek and to save the lost. That word for lost means the perishing, those who are about to die. You are contradicting the very reason Jesus came if you argue that people aren't in that much trouble. He said in Luke chapter 13, verse 5, unless you repent, you will perish. Same word. You are far from God. When he commemorated the Lord's Supper, he said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, I'm pouring out my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, the reason I am dying is because your sin problem is that bad. In fact, the angel told Jesus in Matthew, angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, you are to give him the name Jesus because he has come to save his people from their sins. And to be as clear as he can, Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, unless you believe that I am who I am or who I claim I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus didn't come to make people feel better about themselves by reassuring them that their sin problem was shallow. He never said, you're not that bad, and he never remotely suggested that being good was good enough. Jesus did not minimize the depth of our sin problem. Here's what he did do. He maximized grace. Rather than, than minimize our sin problem, Jesus maximized grace. Instead of saying your sin is not that bad, Jesus would say it is that bad. But your heavenly father is that good. I like how one person summed up Jesus' gospel. He said it's the chase of grace. I like that, the chase of grace. We serve a God who leaves the 99 to go chase after that one. He's like the woman who tears up her home looking for just one lost coin. His love is so reckless and so extravagant and so amazing that he pursues until he catches. Think of what is perhaps the best known verse in the Bible, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent, he went after he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. There's that word again. But instead they will have eternal life. Our sin problem is deep. But grace goes deeper. John starts his gospel this way in John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Out of, the, out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of, of grace already given. In other words, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ. Listen, if, if being good was good enough, then Jesus didn't need to come. We already had a good law. I mean, if you read the Ten Commandments, it's a good law. If you can just try hard and, and grit your teeth and act better and you're okay with God, then we've already got a good law. But the reality is you can't. Being good will never be good enough. To solve our sin problem, God had to go deep. And so he sent his son to launch the chase of grace. Because there are things that only grace can do. And the first is this, only grace can wash away sin's penalty. Only grace can wash away sin's penalty. So here's the problem with the goodness gospel. And it's a, it's a very popular gospel. It's all over America. I even hear it in the church. And, 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 and the goodness gospel basically is just be better. Just clean yourself up. Just obey some rules. Just fix yourself. But this gospel misdiagnoses the severity of our condition. So let the inspired apostle Paul diagnose our condition. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. In the past, you were spiritually dead because of your sins and the things that you did against God. Listen, sin doesn't just make you sick. If that's all sin did, we just give you some medicine and you'd get better, right? But sin doesn't just make you sick. Sin makes you dead. And what can a dead person do to change his situation? You just don't walk up to someone in a casket and say, hey, you need to join a gym. You need to get healthier. You need to take some blood pressure pills, right? When you're dead, there's nothing you can do to change your situation. And that can be offensive to some because we say, well, I may not be perfect, but I've never done you know, this I've never done that. And then we think of those really bad sins, right? Those really bad on the, on the really bad list of sins. But the Bible does not say that, that all people are equally bad. But what the Bible does say is that all people are equally bad off. It doesn't matter how much or how little you think you've sinned. You are dead, spiritually dead. And dead is dead. You don't need a resuscitation. You need a resurrection. And only God can pull that off. You know, people ask me, do you still believe in miracles? And I know what they're talking about. But I say, absolutely, I believe in miracles. Because miracles happen every day. Every single person who gets saved is a miracle. Every person who gets saved has to be raised from the dead. And here's how God does it. A few verses later in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Though we were spiritually dead, that's what we were because of the things we did against God. He gave us new life with Christ. You have been saved by God's grace. He didn't just give you a few rules and tell you to turn over a new leaf. No, he gave you grace so that you could miraculously experience new life. He said the same thing in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done. That one phrase right there should forever erase and put, to, put, to, you know, put out a thought or at least destroy uh, the, 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 the goodness gospel in your mind. That one phrase right there. You can't do enough good things to make it right with God. That's not what saves you. You're saved because of his mercy. 
He washed away your sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. By the way, you will never have confidence that you can have eternal life as long as you live by the goodness gospel because you will always be wondering if you have been good enough. But grace washes away your sins. And I think when, when Paul said that and wrote that, his mind had to go back to the very first time when he truly realized that, heard that and realized that reality. You see, Paul had some regrets. He had actually participated in the arrest and the murder of Christians. But Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus and he told him to go into the city. And then Jesus sent a man named Ananias. And this is what Ananias told Paul. And Paul never forgot this. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. He said, Paul, get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, trusting in him to save you. Stop trusting in yourself, Paul. Stop trusting in how good you've been, Paul, and start trusting in Jesus. Get up and be baptized and wash your sins Away. Because here's the thing, Paul, and here's the thing, church, you don't need better grades. You need Jesus's report card. That's what you need. And that's what you're asking for when you give your life to Jesus and are baptized into him. You are declaring that the death and the resurrection of Jesus goes deep enough to reach any of us. And it is strong enough to cleanse us of anything that we've done. And I say that and some of us think, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how deep it goes for me. Well, hopefully this next illustration will help. Mount Everest is the tallest mountain on earth. It is just over 29,000 feet at its peak above sea level. Now we all know about Mount Everest, but how many of you know what the deepest place on earth is? It's called the Mariana Trench, Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench, uh, just east off the coast of, um, of the Philippines. And at its deepest point, it is 30,000, just over 36,000 feet below sea level, which means that you could take Mount Everest and put it in that trench and it would still be covered with 7,000 feet of water completely invisible. You would never know it's there. I don't care how high of a mountain of sin you have piled up. When it is plunged into the deep waters of the grace of Jesus, it is covered, it is forgiven, and you can't see it anymore. And only grace can do this. Only grace can wash away the penalty of sins. Listen to what Micah, uh, the prophet says in Micah chapter 17, verse nine, 7, verse 19. You will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean where they are covered and never seen again. But grace doesn't just redeem us. It's also deep enough to release us. Because not only is it deep enough to wash away sin's penalty, but only grace can be deep enough to take away sin's power. 
Here's the thing. When people hear something like I just said and what, I, what we've been talking about this morning, it might be easy to think, well, if grace is that good, then it doesn't matter if I'm bad, right? You see, that's the power of grace. If you preach grace like it's supposed to be preached, people might start thinking that sin is no big deal. Now, the Apostle Paul knew that, and he addresses this idea in Romans chapter 6. You see, for the first five chapters of Romans, Paul has just been unpacking how awesome grace is. And somebody might start thinking, well, if grace is that good, then it doesn't matter if we do what's bad, right? But listen to what Paul writes. And this is kind of a long passage, but just bear with me, and I want you to just listen and soak in this reality. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. What, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we, were joined in, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for we died with Christ. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You see, grace does not free you to do anything that you want to do. But grace does free you to become everything God created you to be. It doesn't just wash away the sins that you did. It takes away sin's power to tell you what to do. And I think so many of us need to go so much deeper in our understanding that, that we have, you know, of how deep we, we have gone when, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ and what it means to be united with Christ. We need to go so much deeper in our understanding of what that means. As Paul says in verse three, don't you know, have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? Why do people die? Well, the answer is because they sin. The wages of sin is death, as Paul says just a few verses later in Romans chapter six, verse 23. But Jesus didn't sin, so why did he die? Sin had no claim on him, right? but sin did have a claim on you. And so he died to take the claim sin had on you and take it on himself to pay your claim. In his death, 
He legally satisfied every claim sin had on you. It has no claim on you anymore. How do I know that? How do I know the claim has been satisfied? Because he was raised from the dead as God's proof, as God's guarantee that it is finished. That the debt has been paid. And so when we identify with the most powerful moment of history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when we share in that, we share in the benefits of everything that he accomplished. But here's the deal. Satan is more aware of what happens when you unite with the death and resurrection of Jesus than most of us often are. He's a deceiver, and he does not want you to know what happened in the spiritual realm when you were baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, baptism (coughs) is more than just some religious rite or symbol. It is the moment where you connect with the only power that can break the power of darkness. And Satan, he doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to think that you are still a slave to sin and that you have to do what you don't want to do because you have no choice. This is just how it is. But let me ask you a question. Do you believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus is powerful enough to forgive sin, but it's not powerful enough to conquer sin? You see, grace doesn't just help you get away with sin. Grace helps you to do away with sin. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you now live in a new realm under a new authority. It's deep enough that your brokenness can be healed. That's what we've talked about the last two weeks, but grace is also deep enough that your bondage can be broken. Grace is deep enough to reach into a grave and give birth to a new life. You see, as Christians, what we learn is that new creation is possible. We don't just find religion and turn over a new leaf. We find grace and receive a new life. That's the power of the confession we make when we are baptized. It's why we have such a high view of baptism in our church. And let me be clear, it's not the water itself that washes away our sins. But what baptism does do is it declares my desire to go deep with grace. Baptism declares my desire to go deep with grace. Because you see, in baptism, I'm admitting that being good will never be good enough. I'm plunging myself into the grace of God to take away sin's penalty and to take away sin's power. In baptism, I'm declaring grace has caught me. I ran and I ran, but God, you were faster and grace has caught me. Sin no longer has power over me and I'm ready to go deep into God's grace. And here's the good news. God's grace goes deep.